you need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tan Talk Radio Network. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo, or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Do you like the lore of speed and the finest in luxury? Then come to the Festivals of Speed presented by Burt Smith Porsche Sunday, March 8th at the Vinoy Park downtown St. Petersburg. Festivals of Speed is the gathering of the world's most exotic automobiles, motorcycles, watercrafts, and luxury brands. Names like Porsche, Rolls-Royce, Bentley, Lamborghini, and others will all be on display. For more information, visit festivalsofspeed.com or call 352-385-9450. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Oh, Mr. Simpson, I, I think I know where to find your son. You mean you heard from him? No, not exactly, but I have an idea where it'll be this afternoon. You want to go meet him? I'll get my hat. Morrison, I don't know why you brought me here. This is where you lost your boy. This is where you'll find him. All right, number eight and number 69 are on the starting line. Number eight is being handled by Steve Malachi. And number 69 is being driven by Maury Weston. Might have known he'd be here. Who's he? The kid that's got a special talent for getting your boy into trouble. Oh. Dad, I don't see our car. Don't worry, Jimmy. It'll be here. And I don't see Sonny. Now listen, Morrison. I don't see any reason why... There they go. And it's another win for Maury Weston. That's the third dragster he's beaten. Look, Morrison, all the way out here, you gave me a lot of double talk about an afternoon like this being good for me. Now, will you tell me what we're doing out here? All right, Simpson, I, I brought you out here for Johnny's sake, not yours. I think you might learn something about your boy today. See, he stole my car last night. It was a special rod I was building up. He what? Yeah, that's right. I broke the lock on the garage and took the car. You mean the police are looking for him? Oh, no. I called him off. I told him I knew where the car was. Oh, then you do know where Sonny is. Not exactly, but I expect him here any minute. He's too good a kid to let me down. Dad, there it is. Hey, Tommy! Sorry, Bert. Thanks, Johnny. Johnny, this is my boy, Jim. 
Hey, Johnny. Hi, Jimmy. You're gonna win, aren't you? You mean... Well, who did you think was gonna drive? I want you to win for Jimmy. And win for me, too, son, Johnny. Thanks, Dad. Hey, is that thing really fast? Sure is. And... Competing in our next race is Maury Weston, driving his own T-Tub. And Johnny Simpson, driving a 29A. Both cars are flathead engines. Johnny is driving for a boy who has had polio since he was nine years old. And this boy is here with us today to see his first race. Good luck, Jimmy. If it was anybody else but you, I might even lose for the kid. But then I got a score to settle with his old man, too. Don't do me any favors, Maury. Don't worry. Just keep out of my way or I'll drive all over you. today. Three times, I'd say. Johnny, I got here just after you crossed the starting line. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Hey, how'd you know I'd come back? Just like Bert knew? Man, Johnny, you were really great. You sure know how to drive. You ought to get a hot rod of your own. Hey, why don't we sell them ours and we could build another one? That's an idea. What do you say, Johnny? Should we make him an offer? Could we? Anybody who knows how to drive like Johnny... Ought to have a hot rod. Well, what do you say, Morrison? Uh, can we drive it home? I'll stop by your station tomorrow and settle it up. Yes, it's all right. On, on one condition, to let Johnny come back to work for me. I can't get towed like that every day. It's a deal. Ready, Johnny? Yeah, come on, Betty. Hey, Dad, slow down. This is a highway, not a drag strip. I'm only doing 60. Well, Mr. Simpson... Oh, hello, officer. We were, uh, just trying out our new car. Riding around in hot rods now, and with that wild girl, Betty Palmer. Judge Grant's gonna be mighty upset about this. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback, and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. Hi, this is Dan Woods, the host of Chop, Cut, Rebuild on the Speed Channel, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio in Cars. Hey, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio in Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can go to our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Gulfstream Motorsports, and Nostalgic Radio and Cars. How about that? Hey, Chris, what's up this evening? What's going on? Happy Mardi Gras. 
Today's Mardi Gras? Today's, uh, well, it's like the Tuesday before. Is that it's what like, it is? Yeah, the big Mardi Gras week. Is that the thing that goes on in Louisiana? Louisiana? Yes, Something New Orleans. Like New Orleans? Yeah, and then we, there's a few places around here that do uh, some Mardi really Gras big things. Stuff. Right up the road in Dunedin. Every, actually, tonight, they would normally be having the Mardi Gras parade. However, they postponed it to Friday because of the weather. Oh, you mean the snow we're going to have? <laughs> <laughs> the snow they're shipping down from Boston? Yeah, it's on its the way. The seven feet? Okay, oh, yeah. in, in big freezer reefer trucks? <laughs> Jeez. Boy, so, those guys yeah. are getting hammered up there, aren't they? Yeah, it's really bad. I saw uh, pictures of Fenway Park mm-hmm. up in Boston, and the snow accumulation in right field is higher than the outfield wall. In right field. Now, so the right put, field, no, no, not the green monster. The green monster is in left field. Well, wait a minute. you got to put that in perspective because I have no idea what you're talking I don't even know how sure. high. Eight okay. feet, nine so, feet, ten no. feet? So, right field at Fenway, the wall is only about four or five feet. Okay. But the snow is completely covered, the right field wall, and it just flows basically right into the outfield seats. No kidding. Yeah. And then if you look, I saw a couple images of the concourse, and if you're... Standing in the concourse, and you look up that aisle mm-hmm. that goes out towards the field. Yeah, the snow is just completely over, you know, just overflowing from the seats onto the aisle and sliding down into the concourse. What's the worst snow situation you've ever seen when you were up there? Um, nothing this bad, right? Oh uh, no. Well, I, I don't think so. But that being said, I haven't actually seen what's going on up there right, right. now. Um, judging by what they're saying and the constant reports day after day, I don't think that I've, in my 30 years living up there, saw anything like what they're probably going through right now. I would say the closest thing I got was probably in the early 2000s, or maybe it was the late 90s. There was a a couple, there was one that was really, really bad, and I can't remember what year, and I couldn't even, honestly, I couldn't even tell you what the, you know, the average snowfall was or the total accumulation. I don't even know. But the fact that they got, I what was it, what did I say last week? Seven 70 feet? inches? Yeah. 70 That's feet? Seven, seven feet, something like that, yeah. They got like seven feet in a month and a half. It's a lot of snow. You know, I mean, I, I can't believe it. Like, that's just crazy. Well, it's hard to believe, but I mean, you kind of wonder why, let's say, Boston, um, Buffalo gets a ton of snow, Chicago mm-hmm. gets a ton of snow, but other areas don't get as much, do they? I mean, for some reason, those areas just get uh, beat sometimes. Yeah, normally, uh, when I think of the really bad storms, I, t- I usually think of the Midwest. I think of Chicago and Green Bay, mm-hmm. like Wisconsin, Illinois. I think of Minnesota. Those, like, M- Michigan. Yeah, yeah Mich- Minnesota. I think of like those four states getting mm-hmm. it really bad. And then I feel like... And Western New York. Yeah. and then if, Or like upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, Maine, obviously, because they're, you know... Next just to Canada. As far, they're just as far north as, you know, many, uh, as Minnesota or Wisconsin. Wisconsin or Northern Mish, yeah. Right. Um, but typically, you know, Boston doesn't get it as bad, and I think a lot of that is because it's right on the water. Huh. You know, and a lot of times the water tends to... Uh, ironically enough, the water... Temperatures. Temp, it like raises the temperature a little mm-hmm. bit, um, so it doesn't get quite as cold. Whereas when you're in, you know, Michigan or, you know, right on Minnesota, Lake Michigan, yeah, it's freezing just up there. Nothing. Yeah, you know? but yeah, it's pretty bad. And I forgot about Buffalo. I'm like 
what was it, three months ago? They got hammered. It was so bad that the Buffalo Bills had to move. They had a home game. Right. And they had to... They couldn't play in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. There was so much snow on the field, and they had to move their home game. The Buffalo Bills played a home game elsewhere in, in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Anyway, hey, uh, you are tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and uh, Chris and I are just jibber jabbing here a little bit. But at any rate, um, this past weekend we had a spectacular show in downtown Clearwater. Okay, it was called the Cruising at the Capitol. And uh, there was a pretty good turnout of uh, cars there. Uh, anyway, is that for one of us? It's Lake Effect Snow. That's what it's called. It's lake Effect. Oh, somebody had to call you in and tell you that, huh? Okay, Lake Effect Snow. We've always got to be one up. Whenever, all- anytime, anytime. You know, we can't we can't say anything that's ninety five percent accurate because then there's that five percent chance that we're wrong, or there's that five percent area that we could improve upon, and somebody. Is listening is going to is tell going us. to listen, and they're going to call, and they're going to tell us these guys don't know what they're talking about. That's good. Well, I don't because I'm not from up north. You may, might, but hey, did you ask the guy where he's from? Uh, no. <laughs> hey, caller, call back. Tell us where you're from. You know, he's either from Michigan, Lake Michigan area, could be Minnesota, could be Canadian, could be from your neck of the woods, could be your neighbor. Yeah, well, no. He could be from Lake Havasu in Arizona. It could be Lake <laughs> Maybe he's just really smart and he yeah. knows his, his snow trivia, his yeah. snow, his whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. The science that we don't know. What yeah. about the guy jumping around in the snow, the newscaster guys, because supposedly there was thunder and lightning during a snowstorm, which evidently is very what? unusual. Yeah. yeah there was, there was, I don't know. I, I I mean, we have rain, snow. I mean, not snow. We have rain and thunder and and, and lightning and all that stuff down here. And we're I would, the lightning capital of the U.S. Yeah, I, and I would think that you would have it up north. I don't know. I don't know what's so unusual about it, but I guess it is unusual. Well, I think what it is is the temperature. You normally the reason why we are the lightning capital of the United States is because we're constantly at that warm temperature. Thunder and lightning typically doesn't happen when it's cold. Yeah, it typically doesn't. Well, that's what the guy was making a big deal about because yeah. he was having thunder and lightning in, in a snowstorm. So I don't ever remember seeing lightning in the middle. I, I it doesn't even make any sense to me. No, well, you know, and I've lived in I've lived in New England where it was snowing all the time in the winter, and I've lived down here for four years where it's lightning every day and raining. And you know, today we got although we got rain today for the first time in a few days. Yeah, and yesterday Sunday we had air conditioning on. So go figure. This is Florida, you know. Uh-huh. So one day it's freezing, next day we got AC on. Well, we're gonna have our heat on tomorrow. Is it gonna be real cold? Yeah, like fifty-five. All right. <laughs> I know that means nothing to anyone. <laughs> anyone north of the Mason-Dixon is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, fifty-five. Jeez. Anyway, all right. So what was I talking about? Oh yeah, the car show downtown Clearwater. So they had a pretty good turnout. They had something like uh, two hundred plus cars. So it, it kind of started up on uh, Cleveland Street. Went. Uh, from Fort Harrison all the way down to the bottom of the hill. In fact, we had cars in two rows of the old Moz Brothers parking lot. Chris, you didn't show up. Neither did Pete. Pete said he was going to show up. I didn't. You forgot what, all what, what hill are you talking about? Well, we have a we actually have a hill here in Clearwater. And it's I was right, like, there's no hill. Yeah, well, you know, it used to. Well, it's, yeah, like it, it was. It was the hill that goes down to the waterfront down there, right past what used to be. The department store called Moss Brothers, where they have the little fish. Winter, that's it. Winter, the dolphin. Oh, the dolphin. Yeah, it's in that big <laughs> building. The fish with the funny tail. Come on, have well, some compassion. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, all right. So, Jeez. yeah, the prosthetic tail. It's the poor little fish, the poor little dolphin. Uh, shark bait. No, I'm just kidding. God, I shouldn't be doing that. But anyway, it's a big tourist attraction for us right now. I guess 
No, nah, I won't go there. Anyway, but the old Moss Brothers building, which I guess is called the Harborview Club or whatever they call it. But anyway, right there in the corner where the Capitol Theater, which is the corner of Osceola and Cleveland Street. So that is our hill. As a matter of fact, I was telling a guy a story because we were joking about that. And back in the day when I was in high school and I used to live on Clearwater Beach, I had a 57 Thunderbird. And that is our logo. If you'll see our, if you turn behind me or if I'm turning around here, you'll see up on our big, beautiful banner done by our good friends over there at the sign shop, Dougie. Of course, his number, if you need a sign and need a banner, is 727-392-4852. That's 727-392-4852. Now, that's that's not really a shameless plug. That's actually a good plug. But I I, 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 I didn't actually memorize his phone number, but it's actually written on the bottom of the sign. So that's cool. I was so, going to say, I give you a lot of credit for whipping that out off the top of your head because I, <laughs> I don't see it on the banner. And I was looking because I'm like, he doesn't know that off the top of his head, but I don't see it on the banner. Well, I do know the 392 part. I just couldn't remember the other four oh, numbers. Oh, congratulations. You know three numbers <laughs> in a row? <laughs> three numbers in a row. Sweet. That aren't 911? <laughs> yeah, right. 541. Yeah. Uh, and after you call 911, call 541. That's 727-541-1741 if you need a diminished value report. Now that, hey, that's, that's now my that plug. is a shameless plug. That's a shameless plug. Yeah. Well, you know what? Somebody said to me the other day, too. They said, why don't you plug your services more often? Yes, I do appraisals. So visit my website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, if you need an appraisal, if you need a diminished value report, if you need a valuation. I am the guy that you want to call because I'll come out, I'll look at your car. I'll put on my dirty, grubby, greasy blue jeans and torn up Chevrolet shirts. Since I'm a Ford guy, I can do that because we use Chevrolet shirts as grease rags. And I will slither around on your car and give you a extensive appraisal and valuation on your car. Matter of fact, there was a guy at the car show that had a 67 Camaro. And uh, him and I talked for a long time. In fact, another car that he had was a, um, he had a Jaguar XJS, like a 19, oh, let's see, somewhere around a uh, 80, 81, 82, that body style. So from 76 to like, I don't know, early 90s, they made the XJS series. And uh, they were a nice looking car. And um, But what happened was the 12-cylinder motors had a tendency to give people a lot of grief and aggravation. So kind of like the in thing back in the 80s to do was to jerk the mighty 12-banger out and supplement either a small block Ford or most of the time people put a small block Chevrolet in it. So he was, his question to me was, is what is my car really worth? Well, that's a tough one because they're not worth a ton of money to begin with. There's no special year where those cars are exceptional, but they are kind of a neat car. I mean, they're kind of a neat late 70s, 80s, contemporary classic if you want to use that term and if you do happen to get one that's really really nice and runs really really well and the 12 cylinder purrs like a kitten uh no pun intended or kitten jaguar kitty you know that type of deal Chris is shaking his head. He's going, Chris. playing with your dinghy. <laughs> Keep him coming, Chris. There we go. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's hard to put a number on that. I mean, they're not worth a ton of money to begin with, but you put a small black Chevrolet in it, and yeah. So the car may be worth seven, eight grand, maybe nine, maybe ten if you're stretching and it's really low mileage and you got to have one because you had one when you were younger. That's typically what happens. Yeah. You might do that, but I mean, you throw a small block Chevrolet in it, and it's still a five, six thousand dollar car. So the cost of doing the conversion is probably what the car is worth, actually, in real numbers. But anyway, back to my story about the '57 Thunderbird. So I'm talking to this guy because he had a '57 Bird, and we were telling these stories. And I was telling him how when I used to come in from Clearwater Beach, my sister, who was 16 at the time, couldn't drive a stick, but I, had, I was in the process of teaching her how to drive a stick shift car. So we get up up on the hill. And of course, what happens? We get the red light. So naturally, she kind of panics a little bit because she's on. She's got her foot on the brake, 
but she can't let the car go. So she, I'm trying to explain to her how to do that, you know, the back off the muscle memory. Yep, 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 yep. You know, the clutch and brake thing a little bit. And what happens is, is that she just keeps sliding the car back and back and back to the point where we're like, we're only a bumper width away from the guy behind us. So then I said, throw it in park, turn it off, I'll just get around and I drove. So, and then the guy behind us at least was nice enough to back up a little bit because he gave me room because I really didn't have enough space to even, right. you know, to... Naturally, you're going to roll back I'm a tiny back. bit. Exactly, exactly. So I would have tapped him, but at any rate. So I never forgot that. But then, later, on a Sunday when there was hardly any traffic, I actually went to that little area there because that was the only area that we had that kind of went up to kind of like an incline. And I actually had my sister practice going up and down that street. So finally she got it. And after a while, she got to drive pretty good. I so. grew up on a on a hill. Yeah, my street probably it was a, I would say about a quarter mile long, mm-hmm. but it dropped probably a couple. I would say a few hundred feet. So I remember every single day when I used to leave, and I had a uh, what did I have? A little S10 pickup truck, mm-hmm. but it was a little four speed, a little standard. Right. And um, every single day when I got to the top of that hill, and I learned. You know how to drive standard, and the top of the, hills are hard. When you've never driven a standard before, people get so afraid, so scared. Uh-huh. You're sitting at the top of the hill, and you don't know. And the, and then as soon as you see somebody in your rearview mirror, you panic. Oh yeah, and you freak. And then what happens is you 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 think you got it, you think you got it, and then it starts to roll back a little bit more than you wanted, and then you start to panic, and that's when either you yank your foot off the clutch and you stall it. Yep. Or you just throw your foot on the gas and you hope to God that nobody's coming the other way and, and, and you just and whip out into traffic. You run the red light, exactly. Or, or if you're on a light, yeah, you run the red light. You know, <laughs> I was going down, this is going back in the 70s, I was driving my uh, big mighty Jeep Cherokee Chief that I had at the time. We're at the intersection of Golf the Bay and Hercules, right in front of Clearwater High School. And I'll never forget this, was Peugeot 604 in front of me, which is kind of an unusual car to find in the United, in the United States anyway. And this particular car happened to be a stick. It was a white car. I'll never forget it. So what happened was the girl that was driving the car, I could see there was two women and they're yakking away. Uh, nothing against women driving cars or sticks or anything like that. But what happened was is she stalled it right in front of me. Well, when she stalled it, I ran. You know how it is when you're in a traffic light. Everybody just like they're inches away and you you start to move and your car will actually, you know, leap forwards, maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten feet. Mm-hmm. That's enough to tap the guy in front of you. Well, I did. But she, this particular Peugeot had impact bumpers because we're in the you know in the 70s period and uh so i tapped her in the back i didn't hammer her i tapped her so when i did the lady jump both women jump out of the car and they come running back and the one lady the passenger is extremely apologetic she goes i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry she was just learning how to drive well what happened was she did exactly what you're talking about well we're on level ground she right. stalled it right there taken off at the intersection but you know and i just kind of took off and and, and my you know when you got a v8 it kind of lunges a little bit right. so i tapped the gas boom hammered her in the back didn't do any damage to her vehicle nor mine she got in the car and she took off right away because the lady that was driving the passenger could actually drive this the other one could so <laughs> and uh and then there was another time when a similar situation happened and there was this guy on golf the bay i was going the other direction i was on the intersection of bel air no belcher and golf the bay and there's this 1971 cutlass in front of me and we're in traffic, and there's like, you know, 10 cars in front of me, and, and how, who knows how many behind me. And it's in the afternoon, you know, and I was heading back to the shop. And you know how it is when, when traffic, when the light turns green, you know, everybody takes off. It's like a little worm, you know, it just kind of stretches out a little bit, you know. And then all of a sudden, when the light turns red, then all of a sudden, the seven or eight or nine cars in front of you, they tend to stop, and it's like a little chain reaction coming back. Well, the guy in front of me 
took off, and then stopped because he wasn't paying attention. So by the time he rolled forwards, the oh, I know what happened. There was an emergency vehicle shot out in front of Belcher. So everybody panicked and slammed on the brakes, including this guy. Well, again, I was that time I was driving my 79 Ford Bronco and had a big brush guard on the front, you know, big four-wheel drive, big redneck truck, you know. And uh, that guy started and stopped. And when he did, he made a sudden stop, which he he had a car length in front of him, but he stopped. When he did, bam, I hit him real square right in the back end of the car. I hit him so hard, and I was only going maybe 15 miles an hour, that I buckled the back quarter of his car. Right there in the middle of the wheel arches, the back end of that cutlass just sagged. Well, the guy gets out of the car, and he's got a beer in his hand, and he starts staggering back to me. Oh, well, you know, no. I, have, I have a tendency to be a little on the rednecky side sometimes. I jumped out of my big four by four truck and I walked up to him and I go, What the hell? You know, and of course, we had a numerous exchange of four letter words and the usual junkyard jargon that I was pretty good at at the time. And I scared the poo poo out of him because he just freaked out, threw his hands up in the air, dropped the beer, left it there in the middle of the street, got in his car. By then, the light was green. There was nobody in front of him. He got in his car and he took off. Technically, I should have been charged because I was. I had. Why I? Uh, you would have got as soon as he would have showed up with a beer. With beer you would have got away with it. But I would have got charged with failure to have my vehicle under control because if you tap somebody from the rear, you I, right by yes under you normal are right. circumstances. However, he was drunk because he was impaired. They would have waved. They would have said, you know, who you, knows what they would have done. Yeah, I mean, I. But anyway. I hear you. I've seen situations where uh, a deer will run in front of the car in front of me. Mm-hmm. The car in front of me is forced to slam on their brakes. Right. Otherwise, they're going to hit the deer. Right. And then I... Hit him. Hit them, and it's my fault. You know? Is that really what happened? No, no, no. That hasn't happened. I'm just... No, but I mean, I'm just curious. You know what? Hey, if anybody has that one of those stories, I'm just curious what happens. If a deer runs, an animal runs out in front of him, and you try to avoid it, and the guy behind you slams into you... He really has no control over the situation. There's nothing because, you can do. I mean, yeah. how far, you know. Yeah, exactly. Where are you going to go? You don't know, I don't know what the guy in front of me is going to do. He could swerve left. He could swerve right. He could break hard. Uh, exactly. You never know what they're going to do. But by law, you're right. If you rear-end somebody, somebody, you are basically automatically at fault, regardless of what the reason is behind them. Yeah. Failure you know, to have the vehicle under control, which I could that's be, impossible. We could, be, we could be on US-19 going 45, 55 miles an hour on US-19 here in Clearwater, and it could be a green light. And for whatever reason, I know that you're behind me, and I don't like you. <laughs> Break and check so me. at 45 miles an hour, I've got a green light. I'm just going to put my brakes on real quick and go from 45 to... 30 and in, the matter, in the matter of like two seconds you one have no you don't have time nope there's no way you have enough time because you have no reason to think that i would ever it's a green light yeah we're going 50 miles an hour on on a main road why it's green why would i be stopping mm-hmm. and you just smash into me now it should be my fault because i'm being a jerk and i'm purposely trying to cause you to get in an accident to collect insurance. You know, and that's the thing. If I drove a POS, <laughs> if I drove a beater, and I knew that there was some guy in like a Maserati behind me, what the heck? Why not? <laughs> that's a scary thought. I mean, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. crazier things have happened, especially in Florida. This is true. 
This you know, is true. Chances are the guy in the Maserati who rear ends me in my little beater is probably going to get out of the car and cut me a check. I'm not even going to have to go through anything. We'll hand you over the keys to his Maserati. Uh, maybe. Yeah, if it's minor damage. You know, here, take the car. See ya. I'll catch oh, you. I'm cab. not going to drive this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do we got on the turntable? Anything cool? While we're um, meandering? Um, how about, speaking of bad driving. Bad driving. Bad yeah. driving. How about a little bad motor scooter? scooter? Oh, yeah. A little early Sammy Hagar and Montrose. Yeah. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Video and Cars. We're just jawjacking. We do have a guest that's supposed to be on in a few minutes, so uh, stick around. Don't go away. This is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you're tuned in to the coolest car show in the Bay Area. Because we play some hip music, man. We rock. <laughs> right, Tress. Give me that big thumbs up, buddy.
Okay, we're back. And you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Boy, Chris, we're way off base this time, aren't we? <laughs> anyway, we forgot. We got too busy jawjacking. But anyway, hey, you guys, I know you're familiar with uh, Discovery Channel's cool, hip TV show called Lord of the Car Hordes. Hey, I'm delighted to welcome to the show tonight one of the other stars of that show, the star. This guy's an automotive icon, a legendary stylist. He's got some amazing cars that he's built and designed. Many of them have won the Grand National Roadster Show. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Rick Dorr. Rick, are you there? I am here. How's it going? Pretty good. So, tell us about, you're, doing, you're actually filming right now as we speak, right? Yeah, I took a break. And uh, yeah, we're in the middle of production, in the middle of filming season two. Uh, and it's going great. Super. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from New York. You're a car guy. But you're a very cool, famous car guy. So tell us a little bit about uh, your humble beginnings. Yeah. You know, uh, I grew up in the 60s. I was born in the late 50s. Uh, You know, I grew up in a poor part of New York, uh, mostly in the city and within the boroughs, the surrounding boroughs. And uh, for the most part, when I was growing up, there weren't any cars in my neighborhood. Anybody who had a car... Uh, and this is going into the Vietnam era, era, the late 60s, early 70s. The only, uh, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in was poor. So for the most part, the only people who had cars in my neighborhood, besides uh, people's parents, were guys who made it back from Vietnam and would get a car on the GI Bill. Uh, the guys who did make it back did go out and buy a car and be out on the drag strip the following weekend. This is, you know, 67, 68, 69 Chevelles. You know the the height of the muscle car era. Uh, it wasn't until years later, when I was raising a family, that I really got into custom cars in the early to mid '80s, uh, and that was for the most part on the West Coast in Phoenix. We were living in Phoenix, and I'm in California now. And uh, you know, uh, the first car that anybody would know me, or uh, you know. Uh, put me together with would be Lavender Persuasion. It was a 57 Buick we did for the Grand National when it was the Oakland Roadster show. And that was, I think it was 91. We debuted the car there. It won. It was my first arena car, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we've been just building them ever since then. But that was the first home run that I had. And, uh, you know, it made all the magazines. It got a lot of popularity. The car kind of took on its own celebrity status, I guess you could say. And uh, I got bit by the bug, got the attention. The car went over well. Again, this was the early 90s. Custom cars really hadn't bounced back yet. And, uh, you know, like I said, I liked the attention. I liked uh, being involved with the cars, building them. Then I'd do the grunt work and all the styling that I could. And uh, we just kept building cars every year after that. Who, and, uh, who were some you know, of your who who were some of the strong the people that influenced you your 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 style of of, of car because you got some really swoopy, I mean thirty stuff you know Delahaye Delage looking kind of stuff I mean some really custom bodied cool cars. Well, yeah, you know uh, Barris, uh, Winfield, all those guys. You know, I know all those guys, mm-hmm. or at the very least, acquainted with them. They were all my heroes, but really, the people that influenced me the most would be Fagoni and Falashi, uh, you know, really? French car builders, uh, okay. Bowcheck, 
uh, chaperone. You know, if you look at at least my current cars, you could you could tell that I'm taking what the French did and just putting an American twist on it. In all honesty, uh, and you know that's uh, that's my style. That's that's what appeals to me. And for now, it's working. People are digging it. Well, now, you had a car at SEMA this past year, and it was called the Black Pearl. Tell us a little bit about that car. The Black Pearl was a completely coach-built car that James Hetfield and I... Uh, James is a pretty good friend. We've known each other for a, a number of years. And uh, we were passed for a couple of years, and uh, he had had a 53 Skylock. This is going back, you know... 12, 14 years ago, and I didn't want to mix up the friendship with business, so I kind of passed on doing the Skylark. And long story short, he had finally said to me, you're going to help me with this car or not? We did it. It was a home run. We were very fortunate. It did very well. We did several cars, and uh, I got hooked up with Marcel uh, DeLay uh, a few years ago, and I talked with Marcel and, and James as well, and uh, we decided to do a completely coach-built car, which was the Black Pearl, what you had seen at SEMA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, we were real fortunate. The car did well, had a lot of talented people working on the car. Uh, the body was shaped by Marcel at Marcel Delays in California, and the rest of it was built uh, at my shop in Oceanside. Now, you mentioned names. You know, you're talking about the uh, the, the Southchuck body car. See, a lot of people, it's interesting because now you're, you're, you're throwing out their names. These are names that you would, if you attend Pebble Beach or Amelia Island, you would see these caliper of cars, you know. Um, let me just throw this out at you. Um, are you familiar with the, 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 the collection of rare cars and the Talbots and cars that were found in the French collection the French on the French farmyard? Uh, out there in France, and a lot of those cars were sold recently at the uh, Retromobile. Um, did you get a chance to uh, follow up on any of those cars? I just returned from Paris three days ago. I was there for the auction. No yeah. kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was at uh, Arcurial Motors, had the auction at right. that Retromobile. I went over specifically to see the Talbot Lago Southcheck body Roadster. Okay. And the Delahaye that was the Southcheck body, which were way past my means financially i had no crazy idea of buying them but i did want to see them and it was it was incredible that uh you know it's a little crazy that i'm doing a car show on discovery channel about car hoarders because you could call that bond fine uh car hoarder whatever you want to call that guy in france i can't (laughs) think of his name below below something like that yeah pronounced yeah uh you could call him anything you want bottom line was this guy was a car hoarder. I mean, he had, <laughs> there were a hundred cars, 60 of them they felt were saleable. Uh, 40 of them were, were so bad that the family kept them or, or whatever happened to them. But 60 went up for auction. We flew over specifically to see that. My dream was always to go to Retromobile. And uh, so we got to kind of kill two birds with one stone. I got to see those cars and I got to go to Retromobile. Uh Having said that, I could I could let the listeners in on one thing. When I went there, I bought a GoPro camera because we thought some of the videos that I took, we could incorporate into one of the episodes on my show. And the way they set up those 60 cars, they were the, the, the condition of them were so bad that they did not put any direct lights on them. You walked into a room, there was pretty much no lights. Some of the cars had a light on that they threw an LED in the front seat or rear seat for it to glow, and they put a yellow spot in the front. 
and maybe a yellow spot in the back. And they had operatic music playing. It was more like going to a funeral. <laughs> it, it, it definitely had a creep factor. But that's how <laughs> they displayed them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Talbot Lago South check that I went to see sold for $1.8 million. And this thing, the rust was up to the top of the doors. The back was crushed. I mean, you couldn't even pull templates off of this body. But they went for big money. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Was there a lot of people there for those cars? Yeah, the only people that got inside that uh, arena, for lack of a better word, to see them were press and people who were VIP-approved, uh, people that they knew were going to bid on the cars. Uh, so you had to have some kind of escort to get in there. It was really a big deal. The French were like going crazy over this collection, especially the fact that they probably assume that a lot of these cars were going to leave the country. That South Check body, Talbot Lago, went to Minnesota, from what I was told. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, the other the other South Check, uh, Tallahay, I think that went, it, I think that went to Florida, actually. I heard some people talking on the plane coming back. I knew the numbers. I didn't know all of the locations they were going, but they were leaving France. And, you know, the French, that's like... You know, voodoo for them. They like <laughs> holding on to all of their heritage. You know, uh, I think yeah. they resent Peter Mullen and his collection. And, you know, an American having some of the best French cars that were ever built here in America. I think, I don't think they did that very much. So it was kind of awkward, uh -huh. but it was still cool. How about the Soto Franchitti? The what? The Soto Franchitti. Am I saying that right? The Soto Franchitti. There was two of those in there, too. Isotos, I think you said, you know, they're also French cars. And there was a Bugatti, uh, there, a Bugatti there, too, right? There were several Bugattis. Uh, I know the one that sold for the most was that California Spider Ferrari. It was a 62 or 3. Right. Complete, it needed a complete restoration, uh, ground up, and it sold, I think, for $12.8 That's mind-boggling. It's, 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 you really can't get your head around numbers like that. That's a whole different... You know, that's a whole different crowd of people that are buying those cars. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it really is amazing. Uh, the money that they bring and uh, the background. You know, I met a couple of gentlemen there, much older than me. One guy uh, from Hamburg, Germany. He was one of the first guys to start collecting the Talbot Lagos, the Fagoni Falashi body cars. He was buying them in the late 40s. He was probably in his mid-90s, really good shape. But he had stories of people that he bought the cars directly from that hid them out from the Nazis. Because back then, the Nazis were not only stealing the art in in France when they marched into France, they were stealing the cars, too. They looked at the cars like art. So a lot of those cars the French hid out. They hid them. And oh. he scored some of the first cars that people let go of after the German occupation several years later when people started you know, them coming out of caves or wherever they buried the cars away. So it was really, you know, historically, it was a, it was a, like an education for me. It was great. Super, super. Well, now let's jump to Southern California, San Diego. Let's talk about your radio show a little bit and some of the cars that you've been running across lately. Well, I've got, uh, I got a few projects going. We have uh, three coach built cars we're doing. We just finished one we debuted. At the Grand National Roads to Show in Pomona, called Aquarius. That's another one of uh, uh, another one of James Hetfield's cars that we built. 
Uh, we showed it in bare aluminum. Uh, people start seeing that if they have it on the Internet, but it's called Aquarius. I, I think if you Google Rick Dorr, James Hetfield, Aquarius, you could see pictures of it on the Internet. We're going to go to uh, Monterey with that. Oh, wow. And then uh, get it in paint, uh, hopefully to make it in time for SEMA, but definitely bring it back to the Grand National finished. Uh, I got, you know, three Mercuries we're building. Uh you know, I got a lot of projects besides what we're doing for Lords of the Car Horse for the Discovery Channel. So lots of projects, lots of cool things going on. Uh, you know, I love it here in Southern California. I was sick several years ago, and I moved to Carlsbad for three months uh, from Phoenix just to recover. And came here and never went back. Uh, sold my place in Phoenix, and we've been here ever since. So... Most of my car career was spent in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, like I said, seven or eight years ago, almost eight years ago now, I moved to Carlsbad, the Oceanside area, and uh, started building cars here and, you know, getting after life. Tell us, what was your first car? Uh, my first custom car was a 50, 1956 Buick Roadmaster. It was uh, lowered, molded headlights. 60 Chrysler taillights flipped upside down in the rear. But I could tell you a, a quick story. The sure. first car that, custom car that inspired me was, I was, it was a Sunday morning. I was in Phoenix. It was the very early 80s. And I pulled up at a red light. There was no traffic. It was 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't know what it was then, but a Chop 50 or 51 Mercury pulled up next to me. It was pearl white. Uh, it was lowered. It was laid out. The guy was idling next to me. I rolled down my window. and was I was doing everything I could to get this guy to pull over. He never did pull over, but I remember it said on the rear quarters in uh, in blue metal flake, it said memories. Uh, but that was really the car that uh, sparked it for me with custom cars. That was the first radical custom car that I remember seeing that inspired me. And then, of course going through some of the older magazines, seeing the Barris cars and some of the Winfield cars. Uh, you know, all those guys inspired me. Uh, Would you say there's a a style resurgence? In other words, the custom car thing, going back to the retro look, or is it just kind of like a free-form, free-for-all, whatever, you know, a total, total creativity? I think... Uh, it depends on who the builder is okay. or who the owner of the car is. You know, uh, for me, I have my own style. I've been told that uh, people could walk into an arena and, and, and know a Rick Dorr car. Now, I, I guess that's a compliment, uh, and I don't know if it's because of the pastels over the years that I've picked. I'm known for pastel colors, but I think everybody's got their own style of what they lean towards, whether it's a chopped Merc or a coach-built car. The current generation of custom car builders, uh, I'm really not sure. Uh, it seems like the white wall look is going away, and uh, they're going more with black walled, more contemporary cars, more modern drivetrains, more of a modern look. Uh, I think that went away for several years after the billet wheel thing had its run. Uh, but I think it's starting to come back. At least that's what I'm seeing at some of the shows. Now, the Aquarius, okay, you mentioned earlier to me um, off-air, you use steel bucks and not wood bucks. Tell me why you would use one or the other. Well, for one thing, you know, a wood buck, a proper wood buck could be 50 to 100 grand to have one made. 
I mean, that's a lot of work. Uh, Marcel has a different approach. He takes a rod, steel rod, uh, eighth inch or quarter inch, and we shape the skeleton of the style of the car that we want. So by the time it looks almost like an outline of a jigsaw puzzle, by the time you're done and you stand back, you can see the shape of a car. There's a lot of air in there because there's no sheet metal, a lot of space. Uh, and you get that shape, and then he takes the sheet metal and sh- or aluminum, whichever it is, and shapes it into little panels that end up forming a whole car. And that's how Marcel does it. He's got a, actually he has a Jay Leno car right now. Uh, it was a wooden buck Duesenberg that was brought in. Marcel had nothing to do with the wooden buck, but Leno apparently had a wooden buck made. It's a recreation of a Duesenberg from '31 or '32. So for Marcel, with a wooden buck like that, he could do it blindfolded. He's such a craftsman and been around so long, he could probably do it blindfolded. Uh, But there's a wooden buck, and then there's our latest project right next to it, which is, you know, a solid rod buck. And uh, he, you know, gets the shape, and he forms the metal over it. He does the inner cowling, the inner structure. You know, when somebody looks at a coach-built car, they they see the body, they really don't think about what's under it, but there's all the inner fender panels, the inner door panels, the inner cowling. You know, there's a lot to it, and uh, you know, uh, that's how Marcel does it. Now, the the Aquarius, I guess that's the right name, right? The Aquarius car. Yeah. Is that one? Now, that one just recently won 2015 Grand National Award, right? No, we did not compete with the car. Oh, you did not. Oh, okay, um, but it was no, there. No, we did not. We. We had it on a, a turntable to display it. Uh, the interior was done. The chrome was done, but we did not paint it. But we wanted, you know, it's so cool to be able to show a crowd a car that's in bare metal because they could see where the welding marks are, where the welding stains are. They could see how the panels were fit together for the most part. And the spectators end up feeling part of the build. So when they see it the following year, it's got a pretty paint job on it, and they're with their neighbor or their friend who wasn't there the year before, they could say, wow, you see that fender there? There were like 13 there were like 13 panels it took to make that one fender and the sweep down into the running board. And, you know, uh, so they feel part of it. So in that way... That's really cool. Plus, Marcel gets to show off his craftsmanship, and that's always nice. He's 85. He's not going to be around forever. But in my opinion, he's definitely one of the high priests of metal shaping, and uh, I feel fortunate to be able to build cars with him. Super. Now, what's that have for a chassis underneath it? Is that like an Art Morrison, or is that also scratch-built? It's an Art Morrison chassis. uh, Pretty much my design. It's a perimeter chassis, so the frame rails are kicked way out just inside the rockers so marcel could build the car over the frame rails way to the outside and give it a lower look and the seats could drop into the seat pan and but yes there it's an art morrison chassis with my twist on it complete air ride uh james like to drive his cars he's pretty hard on them so we put in a practical motor in the most current one and that is it's an ls3 motor and the other cars right behind it also have LS motors in it. Now, if anybody wanted to see it, you have a website, too. You want to tell us about your website? Yeah, it's uh, Rick Door Customs, R-I-C-K-D-O-R-E, Customs with K. Anybody could Google it and go right to the gallery. I don't know if the Aquarius is up yet, but I know the Black Pearl is, and 
uh, 28 or 30 of my other cars over the years. They're not all up there, but there's there's plenty to look at. Okay. How long does it take you to do a car like that? I mean, from the time you, you, you pencil it on paper to the time uh, it's rolling down the road? Well, it's kind of a loaded question. We did the Aquarius. Uh, it was less than two years, but at the same time, we were putting the finishing touches and paint on the Black Pearl. We did the first season of Lords of the Car Hordes, and we did another Roadster. But usually a year to two years. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, Marcel is very fast. Uh, I know what I want in the way of styling. Uh, plus, I have my shop and my crew that help me along. So uh, a, a regular guy to do a car like that, even with a blank check, that would be a tough tough thing to do finish a car like that in a year or two uh you know they're five six seven year projects mm -hmm. uh so yeah cool rick we're up against the clock right now but i want to thank you very much for coming on the show here now i'd like to have you on again but now you're going to be filming what for the next couple of weeks uh, we'll be filming uh, till April. April, okay. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Then in April again, maybe we'll have you come on. We can talk a little bit about some of the episodes that you, uh, you and uh, Chuck are doing. Absolutely. Thank okay. you for having me on. It's, it's great talking with you. Super. Your listeners get a kick out of it. They did. They did. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Rick Dorf from Lord of the Car Whores, but also one of the coolest cats that can design some pretty cool cars. Check out his website. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, and that's Nostalgic Radio and Cars and Gulfstream Motorsports. And you know what? There's a bunch of car shows coming up. I forgot to mention them all to you, but this weekend is uh, Zephyr Hills. Okay. Antique Classic Car Show. Hey, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family. We'll see you at some of the car shows. Take care, everybody. Bring on you out. Oh, yeah. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Day. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.